the Titans, the Mount Rushmore players we all know the names of. Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers. Then there are the Giants hoping to join this group. Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. Nonetheless, you can't forget about these new guys hoping to dethrone everything those that came before them created and blaze their own trail into NFL history. Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Mac Jones. Men that won't let you forget who they are. And if you do, they'll be more than happy to remind you. This is the show where we'll talk about all those legacies and so much more. We'll follow these storylines from the beginning of the season all the way to the climax of the Super Bowl. We'll see Giants fall and watch new men who you never expected to take over stand tall. Through adversity and victory, the NFL has it all. We will cover every minute of it here. No buts about it. Hello, um, from a dorm room in Ohio. This is Josh Butts, host of No Butts About It. We're here with Chris, and for the first time ever, Andrew Gillis, the Bengals beat reporter for Cleveland.com and part of the Strictly Stripes podcast. Um, thank you, Andrew, for joining us, and we appreciate you taking time to come on the show. No problem. Thanks for having me on, guys. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I'm just... Um, I, I just wanted to spit this one right at you just because, you know, I was just, I was actually talking about it with uh, Josh real quick, um, mm-hmm. before you, uh, joined on. So, um, you know, as much as I don't, you know, follow the Bengals too much, I do know about the uh, current running back situation going on. And I know this was touched right. on, on your, uh, uh, podcast, um, earlier in the week and whatnot about Joe Mixon and the concussion protocol. Do you think that, um, like since Pirine is, you know, producing so well and, you know, Joe Mixon is obviously the starter um, and he's planning on coming back this week. Would you split time with like Joe Mixon and Pirine? Would you uh, give like Mixon like the opportunity to just like go like 90% and have Pirine go 10 or like, I know that in the past, like I know Mark Ingram, Alvin Kamara had a really good like 50-50 connection back in 2017. So I just didn't know, like, since he's just playing so well, like, what would what do you think from like a perspective for the Bengals? What do you think that they should do? Yeah, um, I mean, like if I was running the show, you know, it, it kind of sounds like they're going to go back to at least something similar to what they had before Mixon went down. Um, you know, if I was running the show, I'd probably have like a 60-40 split. Um, you know, maybe where you lean on a guy a little bit more, um, you know, they, they've really liked what Samaje Pirine's done in terms of his third down ability. You know, they really, Brian Callahan, their offensive coordinator has really kind of praised his, his pass blocking, you know, some of the offensive line have kind of done that too. So you, you don't want to take a guy like that off the field and, and in the weeks since Mixon's been out, there really hasn't been a noticeable drop off. Like you haven't gone, oh man, this team is really, you know, this team really is hurting at running back. They don't have a guy that you can reliably give the ball to. So, you know, what it, what I would do is, and this is me speaking, obviously, I, I think I would kind of go 60-40 with Mixon, but keep in mind that, you know, what P. Ryan has done. I, you know, I thought he was just really, really good against the Chiefs. So if you get to a point where, um, you know, if you get to a point where, you know, Mixon is playing, you know, 60% and P. Ryan's outperforming him with those snaps, then you can maybe start to change things up a little bit. But you're going to need two backs. Like they haven't really shown, 
you know, that they trust Trevion Williams or uh, or Chris Evans really all that much. Chris Evans doesn't have a rush attempt this year. Trevion Williams has like five. So to me, I know that's a long-winded way of answering the question, but to me, you're going to need both guys. So I would start with Mixon, but I really wouldn't lean on one super, super heavily down the stretch because you're going to need both of them if you want to go on a playoff run. Yeah, that that's 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 what I would hope you would say, just because I definitely yeah. don't want them to give up on P Ryan, because <laughs> I just especially um after I know it's been a couple weeks, but after that Steelers crushing performance by him, I I just I knew that there was something about that guy, and I'm glad yeah. that he's getting the opportunity to play. So, kind of on that same note, do you kind of league wide as well? Do you think that the bell cow kind of hammering the ball with one guy? is dying out in the league. Um, I know Derrick Henry obviously is doing well for the Titans, but it seems like with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, now Mixon and maybe P. Ryan, it seems we've got more of these divided backfields going on. Do you think that'll become more popular? Yeah, the, for sure. And, and But I, I don't know if it's... I, I think there's multiple things that go into that. I think, you know, one of the things that goes into that is, you know, go back. 30 years you know when when the Giants or excuse me when the Giants when the Cowboys and the Vikings made that huge Herschel Walker trade go back and look at the GM of the Cow- the Vikings talking about how you know great teams all have one thing in common a great running back like imagine a coach or a GM saying that today right so it, I think that's just kind of the way that the league has gone that it's a passing league you need to invest a quarterback and receiver and then depending on what kind of tight end you can get tight end, you got a pass, but you got a pass block for that guy. So I think running back has just gotten devalued because of the nature of the game, because of how much the position just kind of churns you out. I mean, people talk about Joe Mixon, like he's a hundred and he's 26, you know, like people, like everybody kind of acts like, Oh my God, is Joe Mixon at the end? And he's, he's my age, he's 26. So it's like, that's kind of crazy. So I think there's that. Um, I think that it is, and I think that what that kind of does is, if you're not investing in a running back, and I know the Bengals drafted Joe Mixon in the second round, but like if you're not, if you're a team that isn't going to invest heavily in a running back, you know you're going to draft a running back. I think of a team like the Commanders. You know you draft Antonio Gibson in the third round, then you draft Brian Robinson two years later in the third round. Like if you're not investing heavily in those guys then I think that you don't really have a reason to give them the ball, but there's still going to be bell cows. You know, there's still going to be guys that Jonathan Taylor, you know, if you have Jonathan Taylor, you're not going to split 60, 40. You got to give that man the ball all game. Mm -hmm. Like if you have Derrick Henry, you got to give that man the ball all game. So, you know, B, I would say the same thing, assuming B. John Robinson is what he's been promised. You know, so I, I think it's just one of those things where the nature of the game has changed and the different ways that teams are built have changed. And that kind of le- that kind of lends itself to different personality structures and personnel structures. So to me, th- there's a couple different ways to look at that. But um, the number one thing is that it's just it, it's the number one thing is that there's more than number one thing. So uh, there will always be those guys, though. Okay. Okay. That's, that's good to hear. And I believe Samaj P. Ryan was drafted the same year as Joe Mixon too. I think they were both 2017. So uh, yes, they were. Uh, Cause P. Ryan so they, got drafted by Washington in the fourth round. 
and then right. um, Mixon was the second rounder. So the age gap there can't be too big. Yeah, P Ryan. P Ryan's only a year older. Oh, he's older. See, okay. Yeah, P. Yeah, P Ryan. Yeah, P Ryan was born in '95, so he's he he's a year older. But if you really want to get down to it, he's like nine months older or something like that. It's 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 not significant. Right. I'm just saying, if Mixon is a hundred, P Ryan's a hundred and one. Right. Like yeah, that's <laughs> the thing, and uh, you know, it's it's kind of funny because like. There are guys that buck that trend. I mean, like I just watched Mark Ingram play on Monday Night Football the other night. Like he's been playing since I mean, since I can remember. You know, mm-hmm. I remember him at Alabama when I was like a kid. So, um, you know, there are guys that can that can handle that just physically. They're they're literally they're that you know the cliche quote. They are just built different. But a lot of guys, once you hit like twenty eight, twenty nine, it's it's tough sledding. Right. Um, so the other big news that came, I think I saw this on your Twitter first and then later saw the Bengals post it, but Kevin Huber has been dropped to the practice squad or waived and then signed to the practice squad. Drew Chrisman, um, is now the official punter for the team. Huber has been with the team for 14 seasons. He's been in Cincinnati his whole life. I'm pretty sure he was born in Cincinnati, raised in Cincinnati. Um, what this was a debate in the preseason. So, what do you think the ultimate reason was at this point to now go with Chrisman over Huber? And do you think Kevin Huber is just going to retire at the end of this season? Um, uh, you know, you go with the guy who's going to win you games. Um, I, you know, Brian Callahan got asked that today, like considering it was about Joe Mixon, but it was considering everything that he's done for you and considering what he's meant and blah, 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 blah. You know, would you feel comfortable going to Samaj AP run out of the backfield? And Callahan said, yeah, you know, we got to win. And if you're in a position where Kevin Huber is not getting the job done as well as Drew Chrisman, then that's just what you have to do. I mean, there's, there's a small sample size and Chrisman's only had a third of the punts or something like that, that Huber's had, but he's punting for eight yards more on average. Um, he's already had, I, I was looking this up the other day, five of his nine punts have been inside the 20 yard line. So it's just, a, it's just one of those situations where you look at it and you go, okay, so we have this guy who's playing pretty well. And we think that Kevin's not doing what, you know, what the standard should be. So we're going to go with Drew and, you know, credit to Kevin. Um, everybody said that he handled it super well because you could kind of tell what was coming. You only get three practice squad call-ups. Chrisman was out of those three. So you, you could kind of sense this was, uh, this was on the horizon. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know about the future for Huber. We'll have to see. It just kind of depends on what he wants. I mean, like you said, he was born in Cincinnati, went to high school here, went to UC. Then he then he gets drafted by the Bengals. Like he he is a Cincinnati guy through and through. Um, you know, I don't know what his future is going to be. I'm sure there are a lot of professions in this town where he could kind of name it. You know, if he wants a job with the organization, if he wants a job coaching with the organization. If he wants to talk about it, if he wants to just retire and live in, you know, some lake house somewhere, he can do that too. I, there's, there's a couple different things he can do. Um, but I mean, when you've been as successful as he has for such a long time, you know, you kind of earn that. So um, you keep him around certainly for the end of the year, because the last thing you want to do is 
get be getting ready to play the Chiefs or excuse me the Bills on Monday Night Football, and Drew Christman gets food poisoning. I don't know. You always want to have those guys around on the practice squad just in case, because if you watch the Bengals Steelers game, which actually both of you guys certainly did, if one of you guys is a Bengals fan and one of you guys steal a game, if you don't have a specialist on board, like somebody that can snap, you are in deep trouble. So. Yeah. 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 I miss Clark Harris. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. Yeah. I mean, I know the primary argument for keeping Huber was like, he's been around for so long. We can't just ditch him. But also, like you said, Drew Christman is playing well right now. He's playing better. So um, that makes sense. I didn't, I'm glad the Bengals didn't just like ditch him and leave him on the waiver wire. They did kind of put him on the practice squad for someone to maybe eventually pick up, but they will have him around if needed. Like you said, if Drew Christman gets food poisoning, (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Um, the other big thing this season was Hayden Hurst coming to the team. Right. Uh, I was a huge CJ Uzama fan. I loved what he did for the locker room. I didn't think he was necessarily the greatest tight end in the league, but I was like, what it appears he brings to the locker room is worth bringing him back. We didn't, I wasn't sure about Hayden Hurst because he's been kind of, he's been with the Ravens. He's been with the Falcons. Uh, I didn't know if he was going to be what he is now. He's been super good for us, in my opinion. Um, How have you seen him kind of work with the culture in Cincinnati and how do you think his injury is going to affect the offense this weekend since he's presumably going to be out. Yeah. Um, so I actually, so uh, when I first got into the NFL, I, I covered the Ravens. So I covered the Ravens in 2019. So I was, you know, I, I knew who Hayden was. He was, I, I, I covered that monster of a tight end room Baltimore had with Mark Andrews and Nick Boyle. And obviously Hayden was in there. And, you know, I, I look at Hayden as a guy who had never really been given uh, not a fair shake, but who had never really been given a like a, an opportunity to kind of take and seize a role. Like 2018, he was their first round pick. Like he was their first round pick before they picked Lamar Jackson. And then in the third round, they picked Mark Andrews. Um, you know, 2019, it, he was kind of the same thing where he's on the bench because you have to keep Nick Boyle, who was probably before his injury, the best blocking tight end in the sport. And then you have Mark Andrews. You just can't run three tight end sets the whole game. So then he gets traded to Atlanta, and he has a really good year. He gets like ninety targets, one of the one of the top receivers on the Falcons. Then they draft Kyle Pitts. So I I I, I like I kind of knew what he was coming into the year, and I knew that he was going to be motivated. Uh, and if you actually kind of look at the numbers purely in terms of targets and catches, he gets about the same amount of targets and catches as Tyler Boyd does. Um, which surprises some people. It's just that, you know, Tyler Boyd, where he makes his catches, he has more of an explosive threat and he makes his catches farther down the field. So those yardage kind of those yardage numbers for Boyd kind of stack up. But, you know, Joe Burrow really, really likes Hayden Hurst in terms of finding him underneath, finding him on those those third down plays, those red zone plays. And that's kind of what Hayden has said that he all he ever wanted was to be relied upon in an offense. And, and he's getting that. Um, so, you know, for, for Hayden, I, you know, I, you, you have to feel good for the guy who, 
you know, he, he says, he, I, th- I remember it was after the Dolphins game, I was asking him a couple questions and he said, you know, I feel like I died and went to heaven. So, <laughs> you know, you, you feel good for a guy like that. Um, the injury is, is interesting because calf injuries can be notorious pains in the butt. So we'll, we'll have to see kind of what that is. Um, you know, especially now that now like uh, Mitchell Wilcox is their number one tight end and he came into the year as their number three tight end because you had Drew Sample and you had Hayden Hurst. So um, I like Mitchell Wilcox. Uh, I was watching some of the some of the game back from the Chiefs game. He's a pretty good blocker, um, which which you wouldn't really expect from kind of looking at, you know, where he came from and some of the numbers that he had in college. But, you know, he's a really good blocker. Um, and I think that this offense is unique in the fact that you don't need a tight end to be the center point. Like if a, t- a tight end going down in like Kelsey going down is obviously a little bit different, but like a tight end going down in Baltimore means way more than it does in Cincinnati where it's okay. Well, we have T Higgins and Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd anyway. So I, it, it's a big loss. It takes away an underneath option, but um, you know, I, I think the, for as long as he's out, the Bengals will be able to kind of manage it. Beautiful. Okay. So you mentioned him as well. Uh, how does the culture change around the offense when Jamar Chase is in? Because I wasn't at the Chiefs game, but I heard they introduced him after Joe Burrow. Right. And I know Joe Burrow is usually the last guy out of the tunnel, yeah. but this time it was Jamar. So the team recognizes Jamar is a huge deal. How do you feel like when you're in the locker room with them and he's able to play or he's coming off of a big game, what do you kind of feel and see with the players when Jamar's playing? Well, you know, I think that there's a confidence even when he's not playing. But when you have a guy like that in the lineup, I mean, guys were talking about this after the game. Like he can take like T Higgins said he can take a three yard, a three yard pass and take it 70 yards for a touchdown. Ted Karras kind of said the same thing. You can you can catch the ball and he's gone. So, you know, I think that there's just an element of, okay, like that we, we have another home run threat on our offense. And like a lot of respect to like Trent Irwin, who played you know, pretty well, I thought in relief, like he's, he's, he's just not Jamar Chase. There's like, there's right. maybe a handful of guys around the NFL that you'd be like, okay, I can put Jamar Chase in the same league as him, you know? And that's what I always say about T Higgins. Like I kind of feel bad for T Higgins in a way because uh, you know, he, I think he's a number one receiver in the league who just happens to be on an offense with Jamar Chase, you know? So um, I, I think that uh, w- w- when he's there, there's just a, a feeling of, okay, now, you know, we're, we're fully operational here. You know, this death star is, is, is ready to fire. Like you can, you can move on that. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, when, when he, like I said, when he's there, there is just a, the defenses have to play him different. You know, you number one corners are going certain places. Safeties have to change up what they're doing. So to me, there's just a feeling of, um, you know, they're like I said, they're confident without him, but there is a feeling of just not overconfidence, but they're just, you, there's just, they know what Jamar is. And it doesn't matter who, what kind of offense he's in. If you have that guy compared to not having that guy, it's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. Trent, Trent Irwin did so well, though. He was such a shock. I remember I went to the Pittsburgh Bengals game in Pittsburgh, and Irwin got that touchdown, and the Steelers fans were like, who is that? Is Jamar playing? Who is that guy? I'm like, no, that's Trent Irwin. That's our boy. And I was doing the money thing, and then Jamar did it uh, after T. Higgins touched on. He got a flag. I didn't get flagged. 
um, when I did it. So I was glad to see it. Is should we be worried about Jamar going too far on those uh, on those penalties? Because now he's got two against the Steelers, but Bengals fans love both of them. Yeah, I don't, yeah. I mean, I'm one of those guys who's like, unless it becomes a problem. Like unless he starts getting thrown out or it takes him out of his game, then I don't have a, like I don't have a problem with it. Um, I think sports are fun that way. Um, right. Like you know, I remember I was covering that that Ravens Titans game in 2020 where the like the, the 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 Titans danced on the midfield logo and then beat them in Baltimore in the playoffs, and then the next year they did the same thing. Ravens run out to midfield, lose in regular season, and then they beat them in Nashville, and then like the whole sideline comes running off, like. Everybody is like, how disrespectful, how they, I'm like, this is pretty funny. Like, come on. Like you gotta have, like, have some fun with it. So, um, you know, I think sports are cool like that because I, I don't like, you know, I covered hockey before and, you know, hockey's fun. The guys are really great, but like, goodness gracious, man. Like sometimes you get these players, oh, you know, what do you got to do? Oh, we got to get pucks deep, you know, grind guys out, play our game and blah, 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 blah. It's the same answer every time. So like you can't you know you can't have it both ways. Where like if you you want guys to show emotion on the field in press conferences, you want guys to be themselves. And if that's who Jamar is, then you know let him do his thing because he obviously he's obviously very good at it. So don't take him out of it. I, I agree. I hate the taunting penalty. I feel like it's the most randomly thrown penalty in the right. NFL because guys do stuff. Guys do stuff after a touchdown, no matter what. Right. And yeah, like taunting then, taunting has a place in high school and like maybe in college. But like if you get to the NFL, I genuinely don't care. Like the the like I genuinely don't care if you do like the TO pull a Sharpie out of your sock thing. Like dude, I don't care. Like who cares? Do it. Yeah, it I just feel like they're very random. They affect the team, but they're so funny most of the time that it's like right. I don't even care unless like like you said, they get thrown out. Right. Um, I know you talked about this on your podcast with uh, the other hosts. Lou Anarumo is the only DC or defensive coordinator in the NFL to beat Patrick Mahomes three times. I think that's right. I can't think of it. Sounds right. I can't think of, I tried to look it up and I couldn't really find anything that covered it. I think that's correct. Um, He's the only defensive coordinator in the NFL to beat Patrick Mahomes three times. All three of those times were within this calendar year. And uh, what are the what are the odds you think on in your opinion? What are the odds he starts getting calls to be a head coach? Um, you know that, that's always tough to predict because you know some guys they're and I don't mean he can't do it. I mean some, I'm just saying some guys are just defensive guys. Some guys are um, you know some guys are just made to be you know a high level coordinator. Um, it's not saying, like I said, he won't or he can't, but the way that the league is going, it's a heck of a lot more attractive to take, you know, and I know this is a controversial topic, but like Eric, the enemy, it's a, you know, you, you take a, a, a hot shot offensive coordinator who can get your quarterback, right. Who can get your offense, right. Overtaking the guy who's like, we're going to win with defensive discipline and everything like that. Like that doesn't, that doesn't fly like it did 10, 15 years ago. I mean, Lou has never been a, he's never been a head coach. Um, you know, he was uh, like a full-time head coach. He was like, I believe an assistant head coach um, back in college. But then, you know, you look at kind of his past. He was a defensive backs coach for the Giants. Um, 
you know, you, you can kind of go down the line. It, his his background is with defensive backs. That's just not something I don't think you see a ton of in terms of coaching um, across the league. So, you know, for now, he's done a great job. You know, I think, like we said, one of the things that he did really well and that he does really well against Patrick Mahomes is he mixes up his looks. You can't let a guy like Patrick Mahomes get comfortable you know, and, and he said this before the game, if, if you're, you're talking about a guy who hits fastballs 500 feet, if he sees fastball and knows fastball is coming, that thing's gone. So you, you have to kind of confuse him. You have to make him second guess what he's seeing. And they've done a really good job of that. Yeah, I, I mean, so I know you just started covering the Bengals this right. year, I believe. If you go back to like 2020, in the mm-hmm. Bengals subreddit, when Burrow had just gotten to the team, everyone was like, fire Zach Taylor, fire Lou Anarumo. Really was fire Lou Anarumo, because some people were still like, oh, okay, let's give Zach Taylor a chance, you know. Right. But Lou Anarumo was out the door in some people's minds. Now he is like the best thing since sliced bread. And right. I, I'm so happy for him that he's gotten that far. And I don't want to lose him as a defensive coordinator. So, um, I know guys like uh, there's been a tendency for offensive coordinators to get into the head coaching position. Nathaniel Hackett is the most recent one I can think of in went from green Bay to Denver. Now he's not doing well as the head coach in my opinion, but, uh, I'm glad to hear that there is a chance we can keep Lou Anarumo as our defensive coordinator because that. He, I think he's done a great job, and I've always supported him. Yeah. Um, final question, unless Chris has another question, but my final question is, you used to cover the Baltimore Ravens, as you alluded to before. What is it like going from one fan base to a rival fan base in Cincinnati, and why are the Bengals better? <laughs> That's good. I like that. Um, I'll start with the first part of that. Um, the, you know, it's, it's unique because I think you kind of need to understand where that franchise is coming from. Um, you know, when I, like when I showed up to cover the Ravens, Lamar, the, like the running back jokes were there, like, and and like they, they still kind of are there, but they're tongue in cheek now. Like, but back in the day, like this was like, this was fresh off of their playoff loss to the Chargers where they looked awful and specifically Lamar looked awful. Like Mm -hmm. the, I remember the narrative was the Chargers put six defensive backs on the field. That's how you stop the Ravens now. Like there, there's the kryptonite and it was over and it was, there was just so much stupidity. And, and I think that you kind of have to jump into, you have to put yourself in the mindset of where the fans are. Um, so with the Ravens, it was, you know, okay, everything is Lamar centric and everything is, you know, you know, everything has to be, you know, okay, what is this offense? What is Lamar? Well, and then you go to Cincinnati and they're what, I'm a play away, a third, whatever away, whatever you want to say from the Super Bowl, like winning the Super Bowl. And, you know, when the Ravens were not, you know, they were they were coming off a year where they were a playoff team, but nobody really thought that they were going to be that. I showed up in Cincinnati and it was Super Bowl. Not I I wouldn't say Super Bowl or bust because they didn't go all in like the Rams did. But it was if if you don't make the Super Bowl, it's a disappointment. So it it, it was kind of similar in that regard. Um, 
you know, where the uh, it, it was kind of similar in just that the way that people talked about the team, like after a certain point with the Ravens, it was like, OK, we need to go to the Super Bowl now. Um, and I, I think every fan base kind of has that, like you mentioned, the stuff with Fire Lou, like every fan base kind of has that like, oh, we lost this week our offensive coordinator is the dumbest man that has ever lived. <laughs> like, Oh, like we won this week. Why hasn't he been extended yet? Like every, every fan base has that. Um, but in actuality, it helped. I think that they were in the same division. Um, it helped that they, you know, I actually covered a Bengals game in, in Burroughs rookie year and I got to see how bad they were like, Oh, good Lord. They played in Baltimore in 2020 and they were the 2019 game was bad. Uh, the Bengals ran the opening kickback, um, and then after that, they just got housed. And then in 2020, it was like watching Joe Burrow try to like fight a war by himself because he had no help. Um, so it's kind of cool being able to see that progression. So I think that helped. Why Bengals fans are better? That's a good one. Um, hmm. I don't know the answer. That's a tough one because like when I like, I will say like, and with all due respect, crab is better than skyline chili. So like, I, I can't give the nod to Cincinnati on that one. Um, I'm from Indiana. So that's not going to get me. But. <laughs> crab. <laughs> w- w- okay. So Indiana, I'm but hmm. I don't know. I, I think you stumped me on that one. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm just saying Bengals fans. I don't really have anything against the Ravens. I wish you had co- covered the Steelers before because yeah. I have more against the Steelers. Chris, right. you said yeah. on the last yeah. episode that you were on the edge of not being a Steelers fan anymore. Okay, because listen. Of the- okay. okay. Well, fair. Okay. In fairness, it had nothing to – the problem is, is there's a different culture with uh, Steelers fans in the fan base than there are, I feel like, in most of the other fan bases within the AFC North. I feel like um, – just coming from a Steelers fan, I've gone to plenty of Steelers games where the uh, the toxicity like really runs rampant in these uh, fans mm-hmm. for uh, for no reason, uh, especially even whether we're winning the game or losing. Um, so I get I get really frustrated as a Steelers fan because um, from our standpoint, I mean I know it happens in most fan bases, but I feel like one like one game where I think the Steelers I think lost to the Miami Dolphins like it was like 16 10 or 17 10 or whatever um and like Kenny Pickett couldn't finish off the drive to get us the touchdown um they just like more or less like they were like oh Kenny Pickett sucks like everybody on the entire team sucks like this just is terrible and I'm like just give it a chance this is like Kenny's like second starting game like so uh, yeah I was I was getting a little frustrated with uh with uh Steelers fans more or less so yeah I I mean those cities are fun you you know like I've always wondered what it would be like to cover a team in like Philly or to like yeah yeah like to cover a team where it's like Alabama football I don't know like some something where like because like with all due respect to like certain professional it's just different like it like covering the rams is you have to approach it differently than you cover the new york giants like there's just a difference in in the fan base in the way that the league is and the way so you know it'd be cool like having a fan base that is so like ravenous for information about the team that wants to engage that is always down for a conversation um it would be problematic like if you're covering the steelers and somebody's just like 
I think Kenny Pickett's better than Dan Marino. And it's like, okay, well, maybe yeah. let's, <laughs> let's, let's hit the brakes. But, um, it, you know, I think that it's give and take, but I mean, the, like Pittsburgh fans are like, they're, you got to give them their credit. They're intense. Like the rent, when they play renegade, man, that's so like, oh. the fourth quarter when they play renegade, that's so cool. It is. It is definitely like, in my opinion, like one of my favorite experiences of, of Steeler games. Right. I mean, granted, I grew up like also with like uh, University of Pittsburgh. So where Kenny Pickett came from, um, oh, I would so, go to. Yeah. yeah. So I would go to games and I would watch like when Kenny Pickett would go in for the, the fourth quarter or whatever, they would play Sweet Caroline. And uh, so it would be it's a very similar vibe uh, at. Well, then it was Heinz Field, but now at Akersher Stadium um, where like they we have rene- the Steelers have renegade at, at the fourth quarter and then Pitt as sweet caroline at the beginning of like the fourth quarter and stuff so it's it's definitely uh it definitely is intense i will say that sometimes it just in my opinion can be a little too much but as you as you said it is it can be very very admirable but um i do have one uh other thing um relating to just like the afc north just uh in general Mm -hmm. um with like the rest of the season coming up uh the Bengals and ravens are both uh eight and four uh, I think the Ravens earlier in the season beat the Bengals uh, 1917, yep. I think. Yep. Um, last game of the season against the Bengals, or last game against, a uh, last game for the Bengals this season is against the Ravens. Uh, Bengals have a pretty, uh, pretty rough um, couple of weeks. I know we have, I know you guys have uh, Buffalo and stuff. I mean, obviously, you guys beat Kansas City and whatnot and stuff, but with Tom Brady and, you know, Patriots playing, you know, here and there football and, whatnot how do you how do you think the Bengals will do in the AFC North and do you think that uh the Bengals can win the division especially with like Lamar Jackson out yeah up until this past week I thought the Ravens were going to win the division um and then the Ravens laid another clunker against the Broncos who suck and Lamar got hurt so I I think that the Bengals are going to win the division now the only thing that is that is interesting here that is worth monitoring is that the the Ravens already have the at worst they're going to get a push to the divisional tiebreaker because if the Bengals win that last game of the season and they have the same record at the end of the season then it goes to a divisional tiebreaker well the Bengals are one and three and the Ravens are two and oh so if it gets to a point where you know if the Ravens win this Sunday against the Steelers all the like the, if the Ravens go two and two in their divisional games to end the season, they are guaranteed to have the tiebreaker over the Bengals. And with who the Ravens play down the stretch, like that's really interesting because they play. I know they play the Falcons, they play the Steelers. I actually think they play the Steelers twice, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, New, yeah, this weekend, and then um, I think it's on New Year's Day. So yeah, right. So like, if you split, if you split those those Steeler games, and then you win one of Browns or or Cincinnati, you're gonna get the you're gonna get the division. So it, it, it you kind of run out of numbers there to make it work. So the Bengals have to keep pace with them. Um, because it, it is interesting because, you know, we're, we're talking about the Bengals right now, like, okay, they beat the chiefs. Okay. They beat the Titans. Okay. They beat the dolphins. You know, they have these tiebreakers over a lot of these teams and they still play Buffalo. So you can talk about that for the number one seed in the, in the, in the whole conference, but then we're also kind of like, okay, well you have to win your division first because I'm, I'm, I'm curious what's going to happen because if the Ravens win two or three in a row, 
it, it, it doesn't take much of an imagination to see the Bengals losing to, you know, Cleveland at home, a team that's killed them in the past or losing to Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay is not very good, but you know, you go on the road and then you have a short week in new England. Like if you lose one of those games and the Ravens, you know, they beat up on their schedule, it's going to be tough. So I think the Bengals actually are going to win the division, but the Bengals don't have as much room for, they, they have less room for error than I think the standings would show right now. Yeah, I, I wanted to agree with that just because I definitely think like just with the, the Ravens and stuff, not that I think Lamar Jackson's going to be out for multiple weeks. I don't think his right. injury is going to last that long. I definitely can see a, a definite uh, option for the, the Bengals to take that that first place and I know the uh the Steelers and definitely not the Browns we're not catching up to no uh second place or anything like that yeah yeah the Browns Browns and the Steelers are exclusively fighting for the seven seed which I don't know how likely that is but we'll see I I, I'm not I mean the Steelers are so wishy-washy I mean the Browns threw in uh Deshaun Watson and there's all that, but I mean, it's, it's very up in the air for the seventh seed, but I definitely think, um, I definitely can see, uh, the, the Bengals definitely taking over the, the division. I just wanted to make sure I was on the same page. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Andrew, for being on the show. I really enjoyed this. I hope you enjoyed this. Take, taking the time out of your day. Yeah. Um, love to have you back sometime, probably not soon. But I'd love to have you back soon. I just know you're busy. I've seen you on Twitter. If you're not following this guy on Twitter, go follow him on Twitter. Because I usually see your tweets about stuff before the Bengals post it. So That's the highest um, compliment I could ever get. No, you're you're great. Uh, what what's your Twitter handle? I, I don't uh, know. At Andrew underscore Gillis seventy. Okay, and do you have any other social media you want to plug real quick? Uh, not that I post on enough. Um, I mean, if you want to find my stuff, it's at cleveland.com slash Bengals. Um, that's where myself and then all of our other Bengals work from Muhammad Ahmad and Mike Nislik goes. So um, those are those are the two places. But you want, like you said, okay. you want to catch the stuff before the Bengals tweeted. I guess follow me, apparently. Yeah, you, you were doing great, <laughs> especially today. Everything I saw was from you. So um, as for me, Uh, Follow me on Twitter, Josh underscore butts underscore 2001 and the Instagram for the show. No butts underscore show. Thank you once again, Andrew, for coming on the show. Really enjoyed having you. Love to have you back again sometime. Um, That's going to be all for today.